Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton. As the premier independent bookstore in the Hamptons, Bookhampton has a highly curated selection of books for readers of all ages, unique one-of-a-kind gifts, and exciting author events. Browse their fabulous staff suggestions online at bookhampton.com. I'm here today with Sharon Rowe. Sharon is an eco-pioneer, the founder and CEO of EcoBags Products, Inc. She's the author of The Magic of Tiny Business, You Don't Have to Go Big to Make a Great Living. She has spoken around the world about building profitable, mission-aligned businesses, from Sing Sing to Nairobi to Yale University. She has been featured in Glamour, The Wall Street Journal, NPR, and her bags made an appearance on Oprah's Earth Day episode. Sharon lives in the Hudson River Valley with her husband. Her two grown children live out of state, and her son actually illustrated this book and is an illustrator for The New Yorker. So welcome, Sharon. Thanks so much for being on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So your journey is so interesting. You were an actress, Mm -hmm. a young mother. Mm -hmm. You decided to start eco bags. You invented a new reusable bag to replace the plastic bags you saw flying around. Tell me how you went from being, you know, a crazy new mom moment to a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, well, they always say things happen when you least expect them, right? Or they all, like, everybody moves when everything else is falling apart. So it was kind of like that. I was working a job job that was a position I had downtown, and I was a sales executive, and I wasn't really into it, really. It didn't really matter to me personally. I was making some money, but that was about it. And then I got pregnant, and I told my manager about that. And he said, well, when are you coming back? And that was the first signal that maybe this wasn't going to work for me. But I started working from home when I had my son. At the same time, though, I just started being annoyed by the barrage of single-use plastic bags I saw on the street and the trees and the river. And also the fact that when I would take one home, it would break. It wasn't even useful for a second use. So I thought, well, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I don't want to use single-use plastic bags. And I remembered using filet in France, which are these French net bags. Long story short, some friends brought some back for me to the U.S. I started using them in my neighborhood. I got some really weird looks. (laughs) (laughs) And I got some interested looks. And I got some questions. And so I, I don't know, I just sort of thought this could be a business, even though there was no demand, there was no market, and no one was talking about this. Okay. So I went home one night and I said to my husband, I think I have a business idea. And I told him. And, had, he and said, had you ever started another type of business? Like uh, even no. as a kid or anything? You or know, this was out of the blue? This was completely out of the blue. I mean, I had been an actress in New York, so I knew how to be bold. <laughs> <laughs> even if I got crushed afterwards, right? And I had worked in my dad's retail store growing up, right. um, so I understood retail. But no, it kind of just came to me that I should do this because I could be in charge of my own time. Mm -hmm. But I had to make a living. It was not something I could leave on on the side. And so anyway, I sat down with my husband. I said, I have this idea. And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, what should we call it? And he said, oh, eco bags. And he's a lyricist. So we said, okay, great. And we said, let's give it a couple months to try it. Let's see if there's demand. And that was basically it. And how did you, did you copy the French bag or did you make a prototype or? I basically, well, I based it on the French bag, but back then there was no internet. So I had to contact all the consulates to oh find gosh. out who was exporting the kind of bag I wanted. And this was all by fax, right? And I went to the German consulate and the French consulate and the Italian consulate and the Spanish consulate. And the first ones to respond were the Germans who had about the same bag, not exactly. It was more square on the bottom. And the French, like, never responded to me. 
and I'm not kidding, to this day they never responded. The Italians responded about a year later with the most beautiful bag and the most expensive bag. And I can't remember what happened to the Spanish. I actually have some of those prototypes in my attic still. That's a you really- should post them on Instagram. <laughs> I should post them yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. And so the Germans were the first to respond, and they said, we have them. And I said, okay, I'll take a case. And I started bringing them in, and I started using them and giving them to friends and walking up and down Amsterdam and Columbus Avenue, knocking on doors, saying to store owners, I have this idea, it's called reusable bags. I'd like to introduce this. What do you think? And slowly, I got responses. You know, some people were like, you're what? (laughs) Even in the natural products industry, when I got into that, they were, what's a reusable bag? Why would you want to, you know, use a durable bag, carry your own bag. It's so easy. It's so cheap, you know, to have a, a plastic bag. So I, there was no market when I started. It's so impressive. Yeah. Because now it seems so obvious, right? Of course we should have reusable bags. Why yeah. wouldn't we have re- But yeah. someone has to be the first one. And someone has to be the first one. And I know, I mean, when I started, I didn't have any other touch points for people doing what I was doing because there was no internet. I couldn't Google it. You know, I just, I was in Washington Heights. I had to make a living. I had a young child. I had a husband who was a musician and a part-time teacher. And so we were just hustling. You know, we were just making it work. And I just, I wanted it to work. And I wanted it to work according to my terms. Yep. You know, I didn't want to be jerked around. And and P.S., the reason I started the company, too, it overlapped that job job I referenced. Mm -hmm. One day I was at home doing my my work. I was sitting at the computer, you know, and talking to clients and whatnot. And I went to use the loo. And I got a phone call from my manager. And he started screaming at me, like, why aren't you at your desk? And I thought, this is crazy. I was one of the top performing salespeople for them. And so I picked up the phone and I said, you know, I quit. Good for you. And he said, you can't quit. And I said, no, actually, I can. Yeah. <laughs> Click. And that night, my husband came home and I said, I don't have a job. <laughs> so that's when the business of eco bags got real. Have you seen the movie A Star is Born? No, I haven't seen it yet. So there's this great scene in the beginning where she has a manager uh-huh. basically be totally rude in that same way. And she had, had the same thing as you. So when you watch it, you can see yourself you know, oh. quitting your job. And yeah. you know, it's like, why do we have to have people be rude in a yeah. workplace? It, anyway. was, it was bold. But you know, you have to sometimes, if it's getting you in your gut, if you're getting to that point where, ah, right. you, no. it's not healthy. And you have all these fantastic tips for how to run a business and... I don't want to say work-life balance because that's such a trait expression, but you really like lay out in very clear terms some really great suggestions for how people, especially moms, since that was sort of what you were going through at the time, like you in particular say, and I'm looking at, at my notes to make sure I get it right, Absolutely. that you block out first time for your family, then your workouts slash meditation, and then you put your actual work time in your calendar. Yeah, that's right. Do you really do that? I really do that. You really do that? Yeah. Well, right now my kids are grown. Well, right. I so, know. But um, I meant yeah. prior and everything. Well, when I had, yeah, family first and it should be noted, though, when I was running the business, I had childcare. Mm-hmm. I had, and I actually well, shared a babysitter with my neighbor upstairs. So it was perfect. And then when my kids were a little older, they went to daycare mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that because I would never be able to work around them right. in the house. Yeah. Would, yeah. But yeah, no family first. So I would take care of the kids in the morning. And my husband, when he was there, you know, we'd share, walk them to school or get them on the bus, whichever situation you know, was at that time. And then I would always have in my calendar, go for a swim, go for a walk, you know, whatever I was going to do that day. And I would call it a business event. I would make it a business event for myself because I knew that if it was a personal event, I might override it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I can move the swim. But you know what? If I move the swim from two to three, I get to the pool and at three, you know, the swim team's there. 
and I don't get a lane, and I have to wait, and it's not efficient. So I kept it in my, my calendar as business events, and then I would schedule the work in blocks around those times. And um, it, in the book, you said it's really important, like when the work, when your work time elapsed, that was it. You just stopped working. You like got up even in the middle of things, and that was it. Absolutely. That's absolutely. so impressive. It's so hard yeah. to do that without tying up loose ends and everything. It I is, like. yeah. And it's, it takes practice. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't always successful. And I say if you're successful, at least 80% of the time you're good. 20% of the time things just fall apart. And to be honest, sometimes 30%. Okay. <laughs> sometimes 100% falls apart. Just be kind to yourself. Right. You're working hard. You are enough. You know, you, you're doing what you can do. And then get back on the practice schedule. And over time, you build a muscle. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I don't challenge that muscle even now, you know, 20, what, eight years later. I, you do. Yeah. And I'm glad that you didn't use work-life balance because I think we have a life. Yeah. <laughs> and true. part of yeah. our life is our work. Mm-hmm. And our work is business, and it's also family. Family is work. I mean, it depends how you want to look at it, but it's all basically a practice. It's true. And it's how you want to set it up. And because you're in charge, you can change your rules. Which is nice. Which is nice. (laughs) That's a huge freedom. I mean, we have an enormous amount of freedom if you actually get to choose. And I think even if you feel like you can't choose, because when I had two children, right, I got even more done. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. The more kids you have. <laughs> yeah, that's how I was so productive. <laughs> that's right. Should have had another kid. Because you know you have to do it. Yeah. And you have to stop at a certain mm-hmm. point. And then it also forces efficiencies. Because yes. maybe that thing that you were tying up the loose end on the day before mm-hmm. maybe wasn't so important. And you could tie it up with, you know, just by writing that last sentence or putting the period as opposed to yeah. trying to make it perfect. I know sometimes people are like, well, how do you have four kids and you do a podcast and you write, da, 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 how do you do it all? And, I'm, and I've been trying to answer that question. And I'm sort of like, well, I use like every minute of my day. Right. Like I'm not sitting on the couch watching TV ever. Like every minute I'm like, am I being as productive as I can? And it's like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Until I like read for, you know, this stuff to go to sleep. Right. Like, you just have to be more strategic. Right. You have to be, and you have to be strategic about your downtime too. Yeah. And the time when you don't have the phone near you and right. nobody can interrupt you. Even if it's 10 minutes a day, I've been doing um, meditation. I think I'm on a seven-day streak. That's like, Good for you. Yeah. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's a lot, right? Yeah. But I realized it's only 10 minutes in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm using one of the apps. Mm-hmm. I don't even get out of bed. Are you, you know, sit straight? Your spine is aligned? I'm like, no, I'm lying down. <laughs> this works for me. Yeah. You know, but it, it's how I'm getting back into that practice. And we'll see how long I go. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a nice quote in the book about how you don't want your family life. You say, allowing work to bleed into everyday family activities is not only draining, but can lead to some pretty ugly situations and mistakes. Absolutely, yeah. And you give some good examples yeah. in the book. Like, yeah. Do <laughs> I don't know. I actually can't remember all the ones in the book, but I remember one where I was working and my son came over and he was playing in the drawer and he picked up like really sharp scissors and I'm on the phone and I'm like, okay, it's a really big client, but my son, my two-year-old is walking around with really sharp scissors okay, this isn't working. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think kids are kind of like, well, don't take this the wrong way, are kind of like dogs, though, in a way. Mm -hmm. They want your attention when they want it. And if you give it to them fully for that minute or that two minutes or you solve their problem, you can, if you engage with them, they'll redirect or you can redirect them. But if you keep saying, not now, not now, go Mm -hmm. away, mommy's busy, not now, no. And if you say no, and it's not a conscious no, it's going to come back to you because they're going to be more persistent. It's true. Yeah. And I think it's so hard now 
that work, like everything is intermingled on the phone. Yeah. And you can be doing, sometimes you have to be on the phone. Like sometimes, I don't know, like all the emails, it's not like work is, like when I started out in the workplace, I would go to an office and my work emails would be on that computer and then I could leave that office Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be able to access those emails. Right. And obviously now it's like just constant and sometimes I find myself even like walking up the stairs with my kid and I'm like trying to email back or confirm an interview or something and I'm like, and then I have your voice in my head now saying like, don't let it bleed into your life because that's really what it's doing. It's doing, yeah. It's like I'm with the kid but I'm not really. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was lucky because the phones didn't come out until my children were like, I think Julian was 10 or 11, 12, but they weren't so pervasive. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that as much. But I remember when they were teenagers, actually, it's really important when they're teenagers because when they finally want your attention, yeah. that's special. Yeah. Because most of the time they're just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not there. Close the door. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look in my room. I'll get to it when I can. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I wish there was like a a way to have a separate personal email account, except I'm blended. Right. Me too. I tried that. I did too. It failed. Epic fail. I mean, it all just goes to the I've learned better at swiping, you know, delete, 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 delete. And then I'm like, oh crap, I just deleted something important. And you've got to go back in. Yeah. So back to this magic Mm. of tiny business. Mm. You define tiny in an interesting way in the book because you Mm -hmm. don't mean a small business in terms of employee or even revenue. No. So tell us what you mean by a small, a tiny business. Tiny business is is really a state of mind, like a tiny house. It's very intentional. The business is built on something that really matters to you and fulfills your personal goals. So for me, it was a cultural impact goal. You know, I wanted to see a reusable bag's I wanted to see reusable bags enter the market, and I wanted to see people be more thoughtful about the waste that they're creating. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, I had an income goal, right? I needed to make a living for my family. And I had an environmental goal and a social goal, which was to produce a product that had a message sustainably that wasn't produced on the backs of other people. You know, I knew what was going on in other countries in terms of not fair wage or fair labor. So that's where I came from. So I think it's very personal, but it's a mindset. And it's something that when you're starting a business, you may not have all the answers. You don't know what you want. Mm -hmm. But you can look at what you don't want. Because most people know what they don't want. I didn't want to work 10 hours a day. I didn't want to work on weekends. I didn't want to purchase goods at the cheapest available amount from sources that I, there was no transparency. And this was 28 years ago. So again, it, you know, nobody was really talking about this stuff. I just, I kind of don't even know where some of that stuff came from. Maybe it came from my dad and the retail store and the fact that we always knew Joey, who was the, oh, I forgot what they're called, but he would bring in the jeans. My dad mm-hmm. sold jeans pre-Gap. Wow. You know, so we knew, and we used to come down, Hank Mathau's brother, uh, Walter's Math- Walter Mathau's brother, Hank, used to have a loft in Soho, and we would come down here to get all the Army-Navy stuff. Wow. Yeah. Very so cool. we always knew our supply chain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we didn't know it to the, ver- the manufacturer, but I wanted to know it all the way back. So all these influences combined gave me my why, and then... I had to really look seriously at what's my how. How do I execute and how do I stay true to what I what I value most as part of this company so that I don't get pinged. Right. You know, that kind of awful feeling you get when you compromise to the point where you know it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And that meant, again, going back to priorities, I really had to do a deep dive. And this is over time. So I don't I mean, I can't expect anybody to do this right away. In fact, I would never do it if somebody asked me to do it. I would take time. Is look at what's the most important. And what was the most important was 
raising my kids, putting food on the table, having friends over for dinner. I mean, these are and going for walks in the park. These are all really manageable. Yeah. At any stage. And I love if you how, have your health. And I yeah. love how you just like outlined it in the book. Like you're not afraid to put your walk or your swim or whatever. Yeah. It's important to you because otherwise, I mean, you only get to live once. You're not going to have it in your life at all, right? Yeah. And I'm right now, I'm getting this a lot that at my age, <laughs> a friend just died last week, you know, and I'm sorry. And she was, yeah. And she's so my sorry. age. And my cousin just died last Aww. week and he was only 10 years older. And, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to live to 100 because all, you know, invest for your future. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. There's Never a lot know. of things conspiring in this world, and we're not always in charge. It's true. So live every day as full as you can. And again, I'd, this is a lot of this is in retrospect. I mm-hmm. mean, I hope I was present in as many moments as possible while I had my children and my husband. I know I was not perfect, but I'm still married <laughs> to the right. same guy. You know, so, you know, but you found love. Yes. You found what yeah, you, yeah, love. yeah. That's what's important. You found what doesn't compromise and what really lights you up and which opens your heart. True. Yeah, and you found kindness. I, well, I'm not going to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. Really, I, can't, I can't. I can't talk okay. about this. Okay. Another piece of advice in the book, and, I, and then I want to talk about how you ended up making this into oh, a book. Sure. Nice to do versus need to do yeah. lists. Do you still keep those? I do. I do. Well, it's not always a list. It's basically a, a choice of what I do next. I mean, my desk is not a orderly place. <laughs> I love all the new scientific studies that are coming out saying, you know, people who are messy are really creative because mm-hmm. my desk is a mess. So well, I, the insides of my cabinets are a mess. I oh, try okay. to keep the outside clean. Well, good for you. Inside, everything inside is like... Yeah, I file things really carefully. That's interesting. Oh, but I, I can never I find them. Yeah. I can, so, but I do. I write everything on stickies mm-hmm. and I write the same thing multiple times because my brain doesn't work in a linear fashion. I'm much more circular and spirally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll revisit the same thing, you know, three or four times. And that's when I'm like, that's important. Mm-hmm. And the things that are less important kind of just continually fall to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then every, I don't know, it's not even on a schedule. Every now and then I just look at my desk and go, that's a mess. And I just take everything. And I mean, there might even be good ideas on those papers, but I'm practicing impermanence. They go in the recycling bin. If yeah. it's really important, it's going to come back. Or I'll call someone like Anne Marie and I'll say, What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll call a friend and say, What was that thing that, you know, because we can always find it somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And so, how did you take all this and decide to make it into a book? Okay. So, the book thing was an evolution. First of all, it started with me being really bored with my business and just like, Ugh, I don't want to do this anymore because it started turning into a commodity business as opposed to a culture shift business. Mm-hmm. You know, I really started it to spread a message and to seed an idea. And especially in the recession, it was really, really tough. So I decided I needed to do something to light myself up. And I'm an actress, but it's really hard to find roles and then commit to the schedules and you have to show up for rehearsals, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, oh, what can I do now that... I can do for the rest of my life, no matter what my health situation is and if my hand works. And I said I could write. So I started writing every day. And I started writing 10 minutes every day, then 15 minutes every day, then I think I got up to a half an hour. And I would use my phone and I would set the timer. And whenever it ended, I, I stopped. Even mid-sentence, I just stopped. 
And I knew I had to do that because it made me hungry to go back to it, mm-hmm. you know, and the ideas would have an opportunity to kind of mature and just sort of, or go away if they were not so good. And I wasn't writing about anything in particular. Like if I was writing today, I'd say, oh, the microphone, the chair, the cat, it just freeform writing. So that in combination with the fact that I would sit at the piano and also we have a piano in the house. I, I was thinking, oh, I should play an instrument. And I was like, oh, there's a piano. Okay, <laughs> there it is. How about that one? How about that? <laughs> and a friend had given us one of those sand timers. Mm-hmm. That's actually where it started. So I started improvising on the piano for about 10 to 15 minutes a day. And I'm not really a pianist. I mean, I studied when I was a kid. But my husband's a pianist. And just getting those vibrations going. So somehow all of that led to this idea of maybe I'll write a book, which was prompted by a woman I know and a friend who's part of the Women's Presidents Organization. And this is an organization with women with businesses well over a million dollars. And some of them are extremely successful. And one of these very successful businesswomen said, I love how you live your life. And I was like, uh, what? You know, she kind of woke me up. She said, I like what you're doing. I can see. And I said, and in my own self-critical way, I was like, but yours is much bigger. Your business is, you know, 10 times mine. And she said, but yeah, you have, you seem to move in and out of things with more ease. You're not carrying that stress. And I was like, oh, okay, if that's what you see. I, you know, I, 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 didn't, I tried not to, I worked to not negate it, mm-hmm. which is, Another practice. Yes. Right? Like, oh, I like your shirt. Oh, I only got it at Marshall's instead of yeah, thank you. I, I do this I'm like, oh, I'm We're like trained. the queen of that. That's We're like trained. Yeah, yeah. I really like, yeah, whatever. It was on sale. Yeah. yeah. So Deb is her name. She got me thinking about that. And then I chewed on that bone for about three years with a friend of mine when I would walk with her in L.A. And finally she said, would you just shut up and write it? So... You know, she really pissed me off. And I said, okay, fine. And I continued the writing practice. So, you know, mostly it was every day. I I got pretty good at writing every day. Yeah. And I wrote a play. Not very good. I wrote a couple of short stories. I should say, I say not very good because I had it read. So I need to go back to it. (laughs) And my friend Tessa, who said, you know, just write it. Mm -hmm. She really pushed me over the edge. She's a producer. So she's like, just come on. So I wrote on Facebook, does anyone know anyone who knows anyone in publishing? And a friend of mine said, yeah, you should talk to Neil over at Barrett Kohler. Turns out, because we're in the same social business Mm -hmm. circle, I met him at a conference. I pitched him my idea, which was based on something my sister said on a couch in her house. She said, oh, yeah, you have a tiny business. I said, oh, I could work with that. So she gave me tiny. She didn't expand it, right? Right, But she gave me that. I pitched him, and he said, yes. Amazing. And then I had no idea what to do. I mean, I had never written a book, right? I just, I had run a business for all these years and I'd never, had nowhere, no idea where to start. So I figured out that I had to write a proposal and I hired someone, um, Jeff Davis from Tracking Wonder Quest. So I used him and he really helped me see what I needed to do for a proposal. And while I was writing it, after Neil said yes, because he said submit it by X, I got a phone call from a friend of ours, daughter, and Kayla said, can you recommend any business books? Every single business book I see is boring. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. It's just, She's a makeup artist. And I realized at that moment that my business was going to, I wanted to solve the inaccessibility of business books for creative people. Love that. Yeah. You know, and I'd already seen Show Your Work by Austin Kleon, and I loved his approach because I too couldn't read all those other business books. Mm-hmm. I just, okay, put me to sleep now. You know, just too thick too crammed. So all those sort of influences got me to the point where I put the proposal together 
And then they said yes to the proposal. <laughs> and then I had to get busy. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any advice to either an entrepreneur with an idea, tiny or mm-hmm. not tiny, or to anyone aspiring to write their you know, best practices in the way that you have? Yeah, I would say get started. Don't be afraid to share your idea with people. And listen to the people who are positive and negative. Because in the negative responses or the not like, yeah, yay responses, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of information. You know, I remember I called up a friend of mine who was in publishing and I pitched her the same thing that I Mm -hmm. pitched the publisher. And she was "Mm, not really, you know, kind of like. She didn't give me thumbs up. And I met with an agent before I met with the publisher. And also it wasn't her cup of tea. But I could see that... Things have to fit a market, Mm -hmm. and you either have to meet a market or make a market. And they're the same and different in many different ways, but you have to have your intentionality in place so that you can at least walk in with some ideas, and they can shift. It's kind of like setting out for a road trip. You know, you set out to go to Nashville, but you're like, oh, you want to stop there? There's some, you know, some barbecue. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're this person in the barbecue saying, oh, yeah, you got to check out this tea shop down (laughs) the street, and you're sort of wandering off. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Oh, thank this you. This was so lovely chatting with you. Yeah. And I'm so impressed with everything you've done and the way you just sort of saw a problem and solved it. And thank it's you. amazing. And thank you for sharing your advice in such a relatable, easy-to-follow, actionable way. It's really, really helpful. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Because my goal with the book is to have more people seeding their ideas, and specifically more women, too, to seed their ideas, to not think that it has to be perfect to go out of the gate. Yeah. You know, it can be as imperfect as it is. Just work it li- and listen and be kind to yourself. So that's my Aww. mixed message. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton, bookhampton.com. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Mm-hmm.